0: Thank you. Uh, I'm really glad that uh, you've decided to participate uh, in our worship celebrations, whether you're here or out there somewhere. Thanks for being here, being a part of this. Uh, We have entered the holiday season that reminds many people of joyous songs. And so this week we're starting a series for the for Advent Christmas season called Songs of the Season. Uh, now, there are rules. Being you know, on Facebook, you, you get to find out what everybody's rules are regarding the Songs of the Season. Uh, some say you cannot start playing Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. You're really pushing it if you start. For them to play music, the Christmas music on Thanksgiving—you got to wait till Black Friday. Of course, that starts on October, now, right? Uh, there are other people who say, "Well, as soon as the leaves start to change, or you see the first snowflake in the air, crank it up." We want to hear the songs of the season. Uh, other people says, "Why? Why would you stop listening?" They listen to the Christmas music year-round. Uh, this season is going to be unlike anything uh, we've ever experienced, uh, and there's nobody for us to refer to. The last time there was something like this going on in the world was over hundred, was about 100 years ago, and uh, most of those people, well, just do your math. Yeah. If they're still alive... They were born then, and they're hundred years old, and you know uh, that's the, they probably don't remember because they were just born. Right? So uh, we have nobody to turn to. The songs of the season, I, if I'm not mistaken, the songs of the season uh, started playing on at least one radio station weeks ago. November first. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they waited till after Halloween, right? Because that is one of the rules. Uh, you know, if you, if you can't do it, if you can't wait till Thanksgiving, at least wait till, you know, the Halloween is over. You what that way you can munch your candy corn and sing about chestnuts roasting on the open fire at the same time. <laughs> uh, people have rules, right? Uh, the, uh, these different melodies, though, are going to, these melodies are going to be carrying a different, uh, feelings for us this year, different. Um, Get-togethers uh, are probably going to be smaller than before, if we have them at all. Uh, the pandemic means that there may be more, even more empty chairs at uh, the family gatherings. Uh, angry political discord may result in uh, smaller get-togethers or stone-cold silence or hot yelling matches. For those who do get together. So here's the question where's the joy? And what about that peace on earth, goodwill to men, that the angels sang about? Well, whether you join us on site or online, uh, the next four, five weeks, we're going to dive into uh, the original songs of the season. Uh, recorded by Luke in his report of Jesus' life. Luke records four songs uh, around the birth of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at those. uh, Plus one from Isaiah, who looked way ahead uh, to this. Mary, the mother of Jesus, created the first song of the season that we're going to be looking at. Uh, Her song of praise is known as the Magnificent. Because... Well, in the Latin translation—that's the very first word—and that word means glorifies. So, quick backstory on the uh, on the uh, on this song: What's going on here? We read part of it or heard part of it this morning. Zachariah and Elizabeth are an elderly couple who have no children yet. They're still praying for children and longing for a child, at least one. And both of them are righteous and blameless. Both of them are descendants of Levi, which puts them in the tribe of the priest. Uh, An angel named Gabriel appears to Zachariah as he's working in the temple. And he gives Zachariah a message. Hey, good news, Zach. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear bear you a son. And you're going to call him John. A whole lot of other stuff happened, and if you remember that, then you find. fine. If you don't, don't worry about it. But sure enough, Elizabeth became pregnant shortly thereafter when Zachariah went home. Six months later, six months after Elizabeth became pregnant, Gabriel delivered a message to an unmarried young woman named Mary. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Now, I want just we need to take a time out here because it's so familiar. You need to understand what he just said to Mary. Mary, God has blessed you. You're about to be an unwed mother. In a culture that had absolutely no tolerance for unwed mothers, God blessed you, you're going to be an outcast. Is it any wonder Mary was a little confused? I, I, I hope you understand. Uh, It is hard enough, even now, in in our culture where where we're not as uh, condemning and ostracizing of single moms as that culture was, it's still really hard. And he starts out by saying, God has found, you have found favor with God, he's going to give you a kid. Out of wedlock. Now Mary does the right the, thing. My mama told me about this stuff. And I don't quite figure out how it's going to work. And Gabriel says to her. Well the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. And the power of God most high. Is going to overshadow you. And so the Holy One. To be born. Will be called the Son of God. By the way. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Uh, in her old age. And she. Uh, Everybody thought she'd never have a baby, and she's going to have a baby. Because when God says something, it's going to happen. No word from God ever fails. And Mary's response, I want you to hang on to this one. It's important you're coming back to it. But Mary's answer is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, I want you to understand something about this. A a person who says, I am the Lord's servant in the face of difficult news like, hey, you're going to be an unwed mother in a culture where that is really, really, really hard. The person who says that is a consecrated person. They're they're living a consecrated life. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Whatever he says goes. That is the precursor, the introduction to a prayer that her son would pray on the night before he died in a garden outside (laughs) Jerusalem, when Jesus says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. I am the Lord's servant. These are the ultimate words of trusting obedience words written on a person's heart long before the request comes Uh, because we trust god and we've already decided we're going to trust his word and trust him and believe him and do whatever he asks. all of it no matter what no matter if we understand or not come what may we've decided we're going to obey him we are the lord's servant whatever he asks the answer is yes. See, this isn't just an obedient response, it's preemptive promise. It's a promise that goes beforehand. It says, Whatever you ask, Lord, I will do. So Mary rushes off to visit Elizabeth. Yes, we're still in the backstory. Hang on. We're still in the backstory. Mary rushes off to visit Elizabeth. She stayed with Elizabeth for three months. Do the math, she went when she was six months pregnant. She, she went there and stayed for three months. I Means she was probably there when John the Baptist was born. Either that, or Mary said, oh, you're in labor? Bye. I'm not sure which. Uh, but Mary was there, Mary sang, and, and Mary sang the song, of the Magnificent, that we're about to, to read. She sang this song of the season uh, in response to Elizabeth's greeting when she arrived. Elizabeth is the one who who exclaimed blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Uh, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Blessed are you for believing that the Lord will fulfill his promises to you. So here we are Luke chapter 1 verses 46 to 45 you follow along in the U version or in your Bibles, um, or you just listen. Mary said in response to Elizabeth, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. We want to make some observations about Mary's song real quick. There there is in Mary's song uh, a tension between her individual experience of God's mighty acts and God's mighty saving acts for everybody else she starts about singing about God my Savior uh, and from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me but then she shifts her attention off of Mary to everybody else because God's mercy extends to everyone who fears him from generation to generation, not just now, not just then, every time, all the time, everywhere. He lifts up the humble. He fills the hungry. He's helped his servant Israel, the whole people of Israel, just as he promised to our ancestors. So Mary recognizes that she's in a pivotal spot uh, God's actions that are focused on her are also going to have effects on everyone who trusts the Lord. Um, I think that's true for us too. Now, God may not call us to have a, well, God, boy, if I have a baby, whoa. That's going to be, like, really weird. Uh, if Mary had questions, you could die with it, never mind. So we might not be in a place where, well, we're not going to be in a place. There's only one, one Savior, and he's already been born, so that's not the thing he's going to ask us to do. But whatever he asks us to do and whatever he does in our lives, he does not just for us but for everyone who trusts him or will trust him and come to trust him. So there is a tension. We we are North Americans, US Americans, we are highly individualistic. It's just, that's the way we are in the US. We're proud of our individualism. There are people in other parts of the world where it's all family and they don't understand a thing about why we act the way we do anymore that we understand why they act the way they do. Well, who cares what your mom and dad thinks? <gasps> How could you say that? <laughs> well, I'm an American. I just do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. Mom and dad can't tell me what to do. Brothers and sisters can't tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm an American. Right. So we get—we're really focused. We tend to focus. We easily focus on the fact that what God has done in my life. Not that that's bad. But we often overlook the fact that what He's done in my life, He's done for you too. second thing I want to observe about Mary's song there's some contrasts that go on in here she she contrasts the humble and the proud the hungry and the rich Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor martyred by Hitler in uh, Nazi Germany uh, he described Mary's song this way the song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn it is the most passionate most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. It is hard, strong, uncompromising. It is a hard, strong, uncompromising song of bringing down rulers from their throne and humbling the lords of this world. This, one author says, This is about this song. Another author says this, this gospel, this is the gospel of God's victory over every evil structure and power in this world. This is the gospel that you and I need to hear over and over again. God does not forget his promises. He does not leave justice undone. His kingdom has come and is coming into all the corners of this world, even now, today. Mary's song reminds us that God seems to flip all of our preconceived notions about who's got the best in life upside down. Kind of reminds us of Jesus saying things like, "Hey, if you really want to live, die." And if you want to die, just try to live. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are hungry. Mary's seen it already. You raise up the humble and you knock down the proud. You feed the hungry and you send the rich people away starving. Whoa. God's kingdom's different. There's another thing in here. There's a reminder in here uh, of how God gives his favor. It's because of who he is, not because of us. He he simply loves us. You know, they're going to call me blessed, she says, because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He's holy. He's different. His character is separate from anything we understand and everything we think. Uh, God gives his favor because he loves us. That's who he is. He simply loves us. It's his only reason for blessing us. It's not because we've succeeded in, at some great accomplishment or to, that earns or deserves his love and his favor, his blessings. When Moses uh, was ending his life in, in Deuteronomy, it reports that he wants the people of Israel to remember why God brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. To Mount Sinai and brought them to the edge of the promised land. He says, I want you to know this. It's not because you were more numerous than all the other peoples that the Lord favored and chose you. It's not because you're special. That's the Heat's paraphrase, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's not. He says the in fact, he goes on to say, you You were the least numerous of all peoples. They went into Egypt as a family of about 75 people, extended family. 75 to 100 people. That was was it. Now they came out of Egypt with a lot more, but still not like like the most. Then he says, it is because of God's love for you and his faithfulness to his promises that he gave to your ancestors he promised Abraham Isaac and Jacob that he would make of them a great nation and so he brought you out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land that he promised to them because he keeps his promises not because you're special ladies and gentlemen God loves you not because you're special but because he loves if somebody ever asked you well why on earth would God love human beings my first answer you can take this one you can use it if you want my first answer is I have the foggiest idea why because it's not like we're, we deserve it it's not like we can earn it it's not like we can do something for him and he'll go oh wow I never could have pulled that off of it. If you, oh, thank you right we anything I have He gave it to me so I can't impress him I can't earn his love in any way shape or form but I can tell you that he loves because he is love that's the center of his character and his nature why does God love us because He loves. That's who he is. There's one more theme. The theme of being a servant. She starts at the beginning by declaring that that God has uh, taken note of the state of his humble servant. And then later she mentions that he's remembered his servant Israel. There's a song. Some of you may remember the song. Some of you may, may may have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you may have no idea who Bob Dylan is. But hey, this song puts it better than I could ever do it. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sing it. You're lucky. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, but but God can, God can, God. Uh, uh, the song Gotta Serve Somebody by Bob Dylan communicates uh, this, this reality, we're all going to serve somebody. He says you may be an ambassador to England or France, you may like to gamble, you may like to dance, you may be the heavyweight champion of the world, you may be a, a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody, yes indeed you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. no I don't I'm an American (laughs) the moment we do that we're serving somebody so the question is who will you serve Mary Mary answered that question when she told Gabriel I am the Lord's servant you're gonna have to serve somebody But if you serve the righteous judge who lifts the humble and puts down the proud, who dethrones rulers and feeds the hungry, you're going to be blessed. Every other master, every other ruler, every other person or thing that will not make make, make you its servant or their servant will dominate and exploit you. If you want to be free, you have to be the servant of the Lord. Otherwise, you're somebody's slave or something's slave. Even if you're just a slave to your own independent streak. You're going to have to serve somebody. Now, now, this morning, again, I'm speaking primarily to people who are following Jesus. <coughs> if you haven't followed, started following Jesus, then this is down the road for you. But most of us would say that we're following Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, you will come to a point where you recognize how weak, And broken, you truly are. Amen. And when you arrive at that intersection, you're going to, you'll need to decide who will I serve? I'm going to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but I got to decide. On the one hand, the Holy Spirit will be encouraging you to confidently trust in God's love and His faithfulness to keep His promises. And on the other hand, there's going to be that pull of everything else and anything else that you may have ever believed that could make you strong and whole or take away the pain or whatever. Trust God or trust the stuff I can get my hands on. At that intersection, I want to encourage you to say yes to the Holy Spirit, to surrender, to decisively surrender your life to Him, to yield to King Jesus, to pray the prayer, not my will, but your will be done. All other root masters and rulers are going to exploit us. The only one. Jesus is the only one who treats us with holy love. So, I think we should learn to talk like Mary. The sermon in a sentence is that simple. I am the Lord's servant. When you declare that you are the Lord's servant, you will receive an undivided heart, an unflappable trust, an uncompromising obedience. When you say, I am the Lord's servant, it means, I am no longer in control. Oh. Those of us who struggle with a controlling nature tend to be the first ones to excuse ourselves. Say, oh no, wait a minute. I actually heard somebody say, I have to control myself in order to give myself to Jesus. don't think we quite have the concept yet. Because if I am the Lord's servant, I'm no longer in control. He is. It's not a matter of Him saying, I want you to do this, and me going, hmm, should I? Should I not? Will I? Will I not? Do I understand? No. I am the Lord's servant. He says, jump. And I said, can I come back down now? It's not even a matter of how high. I'm already on the way up. But those of us who struggle with this controlling nature tend to be the first ones to excuse ourselves. And we point to our track record of, of achievements in Jesus' name my favorite author says so when are we going to he asks this question when will we finally have the courage to name it for what it is from the garden of eden to the present day control is the original sin control crucified jesus it makes his prayer in the garden all the more stunning when he takes control of himself off the table Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I'm not in control, Father, you are. Another author, a guy named Leonard Sweet, described this life of surrender and dependence in a piece that he called uh, Magna Carta of Trust by an out-of-control disciple. Um, I'm going to share part of it because I cut it down it's much longer than. but, but he says this I was once a control junkie but now am an out of control disciple I've given up my control to God I trust and obey the spirit I've jumped off the fence there's no turning back slowing down letting up or shutting up I live to please my Lord. I no longer live for anything but only the things that are God-breathed, Christ-centered and Spirit-driven. I can't be bought by any perks, positions or prizes. My face is upward, my feet are forward, my eyes are focused, my knees are worn. my seat is uncreased, my heart burdened, my spirit light, my road narrow, my mission wide. I won't back down, slow down, or shut down until he comes again or calls me home so that one day he will pick me out as one of his own and then it will be worth it all to hear these words, the most precious words I can ever possibly hear. Well done, thou good and faithful, out of control disciple. So, I want to invite you to join me to, in going to the Holy Spirit for a little checkup. A spiritual checkup. Let's make sure that we really are depending on Him. It's just simply a matter of asking Him a few questions and allowing Him to answer. To welcome His honest answers and to let Him cut through the fog. question would be, Holy Spirit, how where am I that I am powerless to control my life? Or we you say, Holy Spirit, how well uh, am I living out the truth that without you, my life is out of control? It's really unmanageable. I thought about this this week. I said, if 2020 teaches us anything, it ought to teach us this. Life is unmanageable without the Spirit. You can ask, Holy Spirit, how often do I yield control of my life to you? You know, it's one thing to yell Jesus take the wheel when we're spinning out on I-75 Black Ice in February. And it's another thing to say Jesus take the wheel when everything seems to be going fine. Or where he might take us someplace we don't want to go. With people we don't want to be around. Uh, I should probably stop meddling, right? Okay. And we could ask, if Holy Spirit, what would change in me if I surrendered my will and life to your care and left it all with you? And told you that from now on, no matter what you ask, and the answer is yes. What would change in me? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. Six short, simple words that we've been praying regularly frequently and it's so easy for us for that to just become an automatic thing without thought so Holy Spirit I pray that you would give us a greater desire for you and the fullness of your love and the, the awareness of your presence So when we say come Holy Spirit we need you it's not just a simple prayer like now I lay me down to sleep or God is good, God is great we thank you for the food that's on our plate we don't don't want that we want you so give us a greater desire for you an always growing desire for you (coughs) increase our resolve to surrender control of our lives to you, Holy Spirit. Jesus himself prayed that prayer three times, not my will but yours. Three times. If the Son of God filled by you, Holy Spirit, An agonizing prayer with the Father. In agreement with it, knowing full well that this is where he came into the world. If it took him multiple times to pray, I'm sure it's going to take stubborn people like me a long time to come to the place where I really, really need and where I experience the surrender of control. So increase our resolve to really surrender, to truly, completely surrender control of our lives to you, so that it's not just something we said a long time ago or last week or even just 15 minutes ago, or now, even right now. It, let it be our lifestyle that we have always said yes. The answer is yes. So what's the question Lord Holy Spirit develop our belief our, our, our faith and our trust in your faithfulness in keeping your promises in particular help us to, to have a deeper faith and trust in your promise to fill us with the love of God that's beyond our explanation come Holy Spirit we need thank you for connecting with us uh, today. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you can uh, join our Tambians of Hope Facebook group if you, uh, if you care to. We're inviting you to do that. If you haven't already, uh, there's a link to that uh, on the church Facebook page. Uh, you're going to find some unique contact there and content and also opportunities to connect with with people who are also working with the Spirit to infuse people with the hope of Jesus. Jesus sends us to follow Him in giving our lives for those who don't know Him yet. Introducing others to the Holy Spirit's powerful love involves weeping and wrestling and struggling and striving like Jesus did and does. It is no easy task that he asks of us. But we are the Lord's servants. So we say yes. With that, go. You are sent to seek with Jesus in the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit. Go. Go.